I don't think every practice needs to be on every platform. I don't think every practice even needs to use social media. But I think you have to look at what are some of the barriers that are currently existing in your practice. Is effective communication one of them? Welcome back to That That Life. This week on the podcast, I am talking with social media mastermind, Dr. Caitlin DeWild. Listen along as we talk about how the veterinary profession can be utilizing social media as it relates to science communication. If you are a veterinary student or a new grad considering starting a professional social media account, this is an episode you need to listen to. Equally, if you are looking for ways to help your clinic develop their social media presence, Caitlin shares her insight on how and more importantly, why you should consider being a science communicator on social media. Now, there is a ton to unpack in this episode, so let's jump right in. All right. Well, Caitlin, and welcome to the show. This is, I think, going to be a pretty fun episode just from your own background of working in the social media sphere, which has gotten wild and hairy in the recent months, I feel like, in veterinary medicine. And then just for me doing the podcast here, I think I'm going to learn a lot. And I think these uh, veterinary students and new grads and granted, they don't always say it, but I feel like there's a lot of older veterinarians or more experienced veterinarians who also listen to this. So I think everyone will get something out of it. <laughs> yeah, don't diss us old timers. That's, that's <laughs> we still got stuff to learn. Oh, goodness. You're always learning. That's why we're in this profession. We're always learning. We're a bunch of nerds just in different I, little niches. Yes. <laughs> yes. Professional nerd. Is that a thing? Can we put that on our resume? I don't know, but I'm going to endorse you for it. On All right. All right. I mean, if Caitlin DeWild says that we can put professional nerd on our resume, then I think it's a go. So there we go. Adding that into it. (laughs) All right. So today we are looking at the wonderful wild world of social media, the Wild West almost, and specifically science communication. What do veterinarians, veterinary technicians, uh, veterinary assistants, like what role do we all play in science communication? Is it even important? Why should we care about it? I'm throwing a lot of questions at you. So where do you want to start with all of this? I think it's a broad topic and there are a lot of people that have very strong views on it one way or the other. But, you know, when we think about science communication or any kind of client education, right? And there's tons of accounts out there that do a really good job with educating the general public on various topics about pet health, you know, even down to specific nerdy niches, right? But there's some that also educate veterinary colleagues, which I find awesome and helpful a lot, actually. (laughs) So, you know, science communication in general is something that we're taught in school, needs to be a part of the conversation in the exam room but so do 9,000 other things, right? And then you add in any recent challenges over the past two years of people being in the exam room or not in the exam room or the kind of the, I think the resurgence of the drop-off appointment has been a big issue. So trying to relay this over the phone or in a parking lot is just, it's terrible, right? Like you can't do that. Not to mention, most people don't want to consume information by being spoken at, right? Just look at vet schools or any lecture. Yeah, right? I was like, ah. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. And there's, you know, people want to learn in different ways. So we know that we need to get this information to people. We also know that people want it because they're clearly looking for it elsewhere. They're looking at 
Google and TikTok and everything else in their breeder Facebook groups, right? Oh gosh. They're looking for this information. There's just a mismatch of when we're giving it and how we're giving it and how they want to consume it and when they want to get it. We're just not aligned. So social media does take a lot of that ability and meet all four of those crossroads. The downside is what a lot of people get frustrated about. Well, I share something educational and it doesn't get very much engagement, right? Which I think I have two arguments for. Number one, true, but did you share a link with the <laughs> image? Probably, right? Or an outdated, boring, dry science article? Yeah, it's not going to do well. The second argument I have for that is I would encourage a lot of people to really be looking at the metrics on whatever they shared, not the actual share itself, but did we get some clicks on that website? Did people watch it, right? So when you're driving somewhere, somewhere else, someone somewhere else, what are the metrics on the people that actually came? Because what we're finding is, and I've suspected like anecdotally for a while, but now we're trying to actually collect enough data to prove this. But what we're finding is that people will go to those videos or they'll go to that blog, they'll read it. And then when they come back, then they just start scrolling again, right? They don't move on. They're not like, oh, I need to click that reaction and thank them for sharing this helpful hard work <laughs> video or whatever. You yeah, know? yeah. We're not doing that. But if it's our own content, then we could actually look at the back end of that, right? Because a lot of people are just going to move on to the next scroll. It's just the world we live in. I hope I answered some of the questions you asked, but now I've forgotten if they <laughs> <laughs> Well, I feel like that's why the whole episode is devoted to those exact questions. And you brought up so many more questions as a result. So we're going to be here for a while, y'all, um, which is great. So I feel like to really summarize this and start to break it down into its parts, we should really look at that first. Like, what is that definition of science communication? Like, what does that actually mean? And when we look on, like, if you hear to like, almost to be ironic, but to Google what science communication is. I mean, it's literally like just sharing information about science facts and science aspects. So like medicine versus astronomy, like all these different things and presenting the information in a way that people can engage with it, be interested in it, be willing and wanting to ask further questions about it and helping them really understand what's going on. I feel like that's a really layman's way of putting it. But in, like you said, in vet school, we are taught about communicating the value of a vaccine, communicating the value of a client-patient relationship. But in the world of social media, like there are, like I think about people like Hank Green, who's a fantastic storyteller, fantastic science communicator. And if you want a really good example, like go and watch his TikToks, go and watch his, uh, go and follow on his Instagram. The random bits of information that come from him, I'm like, part of me is like, is that really true? And then you go and look it up and you're like, oh my gosh, yes, it is. He's just really good at engaging you and really making it so that you, A, you actually want to keep scrolling through more of his content in a way. But like looking at veterinary medicine through the lens of, okay, science communication outside of the consult room. So we're looking at what are you as an individual and maybe yes, maybe no, but you as an individual on social media, what are you sharing? And then also, what's your clinic doing? Because whether you like it or not, our clinic should really be on social media in some way, shape, or form. 
because as you mentioned, like that is where our clients are getting their information from. They are on TikTok. They are on Google. They are on Facebook. They're getting all of those streams. Like at the time that we're recording this, everyone's like, oh my gosh, Sempera Catrio. Did you know it could cause seizures? And we're over here as veterinarians being like, yeah, we talked about that like three years ago when the stuff came out. It's nothing new. It's not actually scary. It's just fear mongering. Congratulations. So how do we respond? And also, how do we get ahead of some of these things by having good science communication? And that is the role of choosing, should you as a veterinarian, as you as an individual, have a personal versus professional social media account that's sole mission in life is to communicate these things to your clients. There's definitely a conversation around that one. And then also like, what is it that your clinic is doing to A, communicate the value of coming in for at least a once a year exam? Like what's that going to do for you and your pet? What are the value of the different vaccines you recommend in your area? Let's talk about PVPs. Please, dear God, talk about PVPs (laughs) from a fear-free aspect. (laughs) And uh, also just from the hiring aspect, like right now, obviously, we need veterinarians. We need veterinary assistants, technicians, everybody. And how are we showing these potential applicants that you have an awesome work culture, that you have all the tools of the trade that they want in your clinic. Because let's be honest, the typical like job site does not do it justice. And you're not going to get that. No. So (laughs) I feel like we went from here's a few questions to here's a few more questions. And now we have a whole ton more questions. So I think I did a great job with that. But first answering that question, like what is science communication? And so now that question is, what is the role of the veterinarian in science communication on social media? That'll be our next question. I mean, I think it's something that goes back to the oath that we all took, right? I think we all got into this profession, obviously, to care for the pets or the livestock and the companions that are part of our families, but also their people, right? And we cannot do that effectively without some level of science communication. We have to be able to communicate the understanding of why and why it's important and why They need to trust us and come to us and things like that. But I really do think it's part of the oath. It's something that we cannot do a good job without communicating this information and the increasing pressures of our clinic workflows and life are (laughs) making it harder and harder to get that information out. I think we have to do it. I think the broader question is how do we go about doing that and do we have the time and are we being set up for success within our practices to do that in an effective manner? And I think that's what's tricky, right? Because, you know, some practices previously were using their social media for something totally different, right? They had a different objective, but now we might need to reevaluate that. And if if not now, when, right? <laughs> like the mm-hmm. last two years, three years has been a great time for us to really look at what's worth doing. And I think that's what's what's hard for a lot of people to say, okay, I want to do a better job at communicating these things and being creative. A lot of us aren't creative, right? And it's hard to compete with that. There's a lot of people that are afraid to be in front of a camera or behind a camera, right? A lot of people are afraid of like, how the hell do I use TikTok? Uh, (laughs) How do I make these videos? 
And truthfully, I don't think every practice needs to do them, right? I don't think every practice needs to be on every platform. I don't think every practice even needs to use social media. But I think you have to look at what are some of the barriers that are currently existing in your practice. Is effective communication one of them? Is compliance one of them? Is preventative care one of them? Okay, then if so, yes, there's an opportunity here. But then now we have to say, well, how are we going to do this and how do we make this a priority? And those are the conversations I think a lot of practices are not having. I get questions all the time. People are like, well, what's the ROI? You know, how is this worth it? You know, should I be doing it? Well, maybe have you really dug into the why and the how? If you haven't, then it's harder to answer those questions. (laughs) (laughs) No, as you were saying that, I was thinking about my own practice and it's something that I am kind of on the team to try and make social media content for. And every now and then I kick something over and they put it out. But it's hard when it's it's like it is a full time job if you want to do it and do it well on certain scales. And it is also really hard when you have a practice where everyone is camera shy, except for like one or two people. And then at least in my practice, like I don't want it to be like the Dr. Bacali show. (laughs) Like that's the last thing I want. So trying to create content that highlights other people in a way that they're comfortable being seen, being heard, because like for the doctors, like there's a ton of value in showing their faces and showing them caring for people and for pets. Because if you have clients that are like, like I literally had one client that they chose to see me specifically because they looked on our website and they're like, she looks nice. And that is what they told the front desk. They're like, I want to see Dr. McCauley. She looks really nice. And I was like, thank you, I guess. Yeah, for sure. But it's uh, like for the younger generations of pet owners, like they're not necessarily going to the website for everything. I don't know. Maybe they are. That's not information that I'm privy to. But I feel like they're going to look a lot more on social media or when they like type in that name of the clinic, they're probably going to choose Instagram or TikTok. Um, This would be the first place that they look. And so if you have the doctors and the nurses that are showing their face and showing what they're doing, like I feel like they're going to be more willing to go to that clinic. Also from the aspect of hiring, like again, it's going to show a work culture, but going back to the initial problem, Like if people are not comfortable being shown on social media, it puts a barrier to what your clinic can do. Or if you only have two people that are willing to put in the time and the effort to do these type of things, like that's exhausting and you're going to burn them out. So there's a lot of questions that have to be discussed as a practice and as like your social media person or team in order to, again, like you said, set them up for success. So Yeah. (laughs) I think it's difficult at every practice, right? And there's never enough, there's never enough time in the day. There's never, you know, the stars rarely align to get all the content that we'd love to put out there, right? Uh, Even for me, when I'm in practice and uh, I'm going later today, and I always have the best of intentions, like I'm totally going to do a video about X, Y, and Z, and uh, I'll get, you know, six or seven pictures, and then I'll I'll be at the end of the day and walking out the door, like completely dead. And I'll be like, hi, 
captured nothing. Nothing. And that's okay. But I think it goes back to that conversation. What is the goal of the practice for using these platforms? If it's hiring, then that's a lot different than if it's communication, right? It's a lot different if you're trying to get new clients. It's a lot different if you're trying to bond more strongly with the clients that you already have, right? You just have to really have those conversations about why you're doing it in the first place. And you can't solve the problem unless you know why, right? So once the why is is determined, then it's got to be, okay, who's going to do it? And is it truly an initiative of the practice? Because you have to dedicate some time to that. You have to Mm -hmm. allow for some time for that. You cannot, especially as doctors, it's difficult. You cannot be seeing every possible appointment and have seven add-ons that you didn't approve and still be expected to do this, right? So, and I'm not saying that it should come before patient care at all. (laughs) It shouldn't, right? But I think if that happens repeatedly, then we need to look at, okay, what could we possibly give up or outsource that to make this happen instead, right? Mm -hmm. I'm a huge believer in that the best content comes from the people on the ground. And even though that content might be out there elsewhere, your clients, it's going to resonate better if it comes from you or someone that they recognize, right? That's a a Dave Nichol principle right there. They like to do business with people they know, like, and trust, right? And that's 100% true. But does that mean that you also have to be the person responding to the online reviews or sharing the the promo posts about the heartworm or arthritis medication rebate? Probably not, right? So I think realizing that social media is a, a often a team sport, and I lump social media in with general marketing, right? Marketing in general, team sport, and it's also a marathon, not a sprint, right? So you're not going to like. <laughs> win daily. So I think uh, realizing over time, you have to make those choices and and figure out what you can do and what you can't. And then that will help narrow your efforts to a more effective and manageable level. Now, just before we get on with the show, a quick word from our sponsor, which is the Thrive community from us here at Venex. If you're struggling with managing time, feeling like you're an imposter or burning out, then you need to make a change. The good news is you are not broken. You're not a bad fit for the profession. Much more likely you are missing some super important foundational skills no one is teaching at university. Skills that you will learn as part of our Vetex community. The Thrive Community is a race-accredited professional skills course where members receive training, toolkits, and one-to-one coaching to develop these skills. So join hundreds of other vets who've changed their careers for the better as a Thrive member. To learn more and find out if the class is a good fit for you, visit vetexinternational.com today. Now back to the show. So I hope you enjoyed part one. Now we're going to get back to part two of that Vet Life podcast. Over to you, Mo. I think that makes a lot of sense. And it's really transferable then to the next question of as individuals, as individual veterinarians and technicians, A, like who should have those accounts, like those client education, science communication accounts? And if someone wants to do that, like what are the questions they should be asking themselves? 
Yeah, great question. I have possibly some unpopular opinions on those, but I think, you know, I worry that new vets coming out and even young vets like have almost gotten to the point where they feel like they have to have this professional TikTok or Instagram where they're talking about, you know, pet health. And five years ago, there were a handful and now there are hundreds, right? I think the questions you first have to ask are, is this a allowed within your practice, right? Because some clinicians have very strong opinions on that both ways, right? They love it. Like if you can say, hey, I'm going to bring my 30,000 followers (laughs) along with me, they're going to be very excited, right? But some are like, hey, this is not allowed within our our policy or, you know, especially if you're at a corporate hospital, things Mm -hmm. like that, you might be limited. So I think that's the first question. Can you even do it and keep your job, (laughs) right? Number one. Number two, what's the goal of doing it, right? If the goal is that you're building your client base. So for you, you know, you, you were a younger associate and you look nice, right? Like that is how a lot of people will look at it, right? Like they're trying to get their name out there. When I was many moons ago in my baby vet days, you know, I came to a practice where myself and another vet were hired, but it had been a sole practitioner there for 23 years. Nobody wanted to see us at all. They wanted to see him because they'd been seeing him forever. But he never did social media at all. And so when we did it, people started to trust us a little bit more because they knew they could like hear us speak, see our mannerisms, see how we were caring for the patients in front of us on the video. They knew that we weren't like terrible people, right? And they eventually (laughs) got over those hurdles and we were able to build a client base, which as a vet on production was very, very nice. Yeah. (laughs) I wanted to see the appointment. So it behooved me to do that because I was able to grow my client base and a client base that trusted me. So if that's an option and an obligation then, uh, or a, you know, opportunity, then I think, yeah, take it. Right. I guess the one caveat question I have then is, should you be posting it on your personal or would that be posting on the clinic's page? So what I think is the best solution for that is to have your own professional accounts. I am a huge believer of separating personal and professional for all of the life reasons. However, so if you had a Dr. Mariah or Dr. Caitlin account and then tagged the clinic or said you were at the clinic or then asked the clinic page to share it, you're still the owner of that content. So if you leave that practice, you have still developed all that content over time. But again, that goes back to, are you allowed to film in the clinic? Are you allowed to show clinic animals? It's very tricky. You got to really decide what works for that. Yeah. Like what's the intellectual property there? Right. Right. Because knowing that very few first time young veterinarians stay at their first job. So if you spend the first two years creating hundreds of videos and amassing all these followers, and then you have to peace out because you're going to take another job. You're going to start all that over again. Not ideal, right? So I am a believer of having your own professional accounts that are separate. And of course you could share it on your personal accounts if you want, but I really don't like the idea of personal accounts where clients can, I personally don't like to be friends with clients. I mean, of course, like, you know, they can follow me on Instagram or whatever, but I don't want to be a Facebook friend with someone. Yeah. I don't want 
everyone to have all that insight if possible. And I want to be able to turn it off. Right. But I still want to be able to like check out my friend's pictures or, you know, follow in with my family on social or whatever it is. But so, yeah, I think it's important to have your own, but I think you just really have to figure out, is that allowed? And what are you doing it for? The, again, the why, because I still feel like there's so many young vets that feel like you're supposed to, but they don't know why. And they don't have a good reason for doing it. If the reason Mm -hmm. isn't to build a client base, now, I will say there are some vets. Uh, I'll give a shout out to uh, Dr. Michael Miller, who is the Harry Potter vet. Yes, Michael. Yeah, he's amazing. But his reason for doing it is, is his passion. It's like a creative outlet for him, right? And that's okay too, right? So I think it's, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be for a specific reason. But I have another example where a good friend, she was pursuing rehab certification. So she was sharing all the things that she was learning as she was becoming a certified rehab uh, practitioner. And so for her, that was, again, it was a way for her to start getting content out there before she started her rehab practice. It was a way for her to share what she was learning because she was excited about it. But I think those are good reasons to do it. I don't think you should do it just because you're supposed to do it. And then you feel like you need to do funny dances and talk about, you know, here's how to clean your dog's ears because you're supposed to. I think that's not helping anyone really in our profession or the clinic, especially if your clinic doesn't care right? and they're not going to share it anyway, <laughs> which I've also seen sadly. Yeah. So. No, that's something that I feel like it's been in the last three years is when I saw that big explosion happen. Because when I first made my account back in vet school, like that was like, just before the precipice of everything. And I was like, wow, okay, there's not really a lot here. And I had that kind of thing. I was like, why am I doing this? Why do I want to? For me, I had started the podcast and it was a way to talk about the podcast out there. And of course, now that like the podcast has its, has its own thing and I can be more of like myself on my own account. I still have a lot of those things where I go through and I'm like, okay, like I'll have a photo or something and I look at it. And I'm like, does this fit? Like I've chosen like three or four bullet points. I'm like, does it fit one of these four categories? If it doesn't, it doesn't go on my social media. A, because like that I have a very set niche of people that I'm trying to reach And like, if it's not going to serve them, it's not going to serve me. And it's just going to end up being a headache at the end of the day. So that's the way I've tried to go about it. I've definitely had to figure out what that means along the way. But as a result, I've then been able to have that conversation with these veterinary students who come on and they're like, this is me going through my story in vet school. And then they're like, okay, so, but why? Like, why do you have to share it? And I think a lot of people forget it takes a ton of time to create a decent amount of content, right? You always are like, oh, I can make a quick post or a quick story or a quick... No. It's not. It becomes an obligation. And that's one that's heavy when you're trying to figure out how to be a veterinarian and a grown up and a, you know, a life person and like dealing with the pandemic and all the other (laughs) things that, you know, the world we live in has brought us, but it can quickly become not fun right? Mm -hmm. If you're not doing it the right way. Yeah. So I think that kind of circles us around that question of, okay, if you are a vet student or a new grad and you're looking at all these other professional veterinary pages, should you make one? Maybe yes, but maybe no. 
that's another option. And it's absolutely okay if you end up having just a personal page where you show for you and your friends, uh, that's a private account and or public up to you that shows you go into the lake last week or whatever. So it really comes down to like what your goals, what your expectations are for that account. And that will answer the question for you. But I think it is really important to ask ourselves that question, do I need to make this account? What is the purpose behind it? And that's similar for these clinics. Like you said, not every single clinic needs to have a social media account, nor do they need to be on every single platform. But for quite a few of them, the answer is going to be, you know what, there are some gaps that we have in our client communication. And could social media serve to fill those gaps? Chances are the answer is yes. But then you also need to ask the question of, okay, who in our clinic can actually fulfill that role? Because it's going to be more than what you probably think it's going to be. So in those instances where they're like, maybe we'll turn our focus back onto the clinics where these new grads are going to go because they're probably the ones who have the most gusto and the energy and the know-how to use these apps. If they're going to their practice manager and they're like, hey, I think we could do this, but I have no idea how, like, how would you coach them in kind of getting this ball up and rolling? Yeah, I think being again, having spent that time to think about why you want to do it. If you're thinking about doing it to help the clinic, right? You really need to start again by the what's in it for me aspect, right? (laughs) Like what's, how is it going to help the clinic and how is it going to help you as a professional? So when you have those questions answered, I think then it makes more sense to then say, okay, well, I would like to try this for the clinic. Here's how much time I'm estimating, but also here's when we can reevaluate because I think what, and that could be said for like convincing the boss to do literally anything, right? Like (laughs) I want this new drug or I want this new toy or whatever. You really have to know why (laughs) and how it's going to help and how it's going to solve a problem, right? That's a big, Mm -hmm. what's for me conversation. But I also think realizing just because you start an account, does not mean it needs to live and continue at full force for all of time. So I think that's an important lesson to think, okay, well, let's try it for two months. And then can we book 30 minutes to look at the stats and say, hey, we got this many views, we got this many new clients, we got whatever, whatever. I think that's a key part of that conversation to let them know there's a potential out that is going to let you have a little bit more freedom for experimentation (laughs) if there's a not a lifetime commitment (laughs) and they know why you're doing it and what it can potentially bring to the clinic. I think these are some great questions to be asking. And I really hope that there's some vet students that are Maybe they were thinking about starting an account and now they actually have something to chew on and really consider like, why are they doing this? What's the purpose that's going to be there? And just kind of start those conversations because I'm kind of interested to hear what you think, but like, where do you think all of this social media, like, where's it going to go in the next five years purpose-wise? Now I see that smirk on your face. You're like, ooh, I got something good. (laughs) Well, I don't know that I do. (laughs) The funny thing is, is it's a question I ask myself every day, right? Even as owning a business that deals with this for, you know, lots of businesses across the world, this is an issue, right? Like there's, you know, five years ago, I would have said, 
most of the clinics that I help or that I coach and train someone on their team to do this, the goal for them is to book more appointments or increase service utilization by clients they already have, right? Getting them to say yes to more things, basically. That was the main reason. And then, you know, and I hate to constantly be the person that's like, and then the pandemic, like I hate <laughs> about it anymore but, but it's the, the reality, truth it's the reality it's for us right it shifted everything and so all of a sudden our channels are now an information stream because remember in the very beginning it was like can dogs and cats get this like they didn't yeah, you know, didn't there know. Was like about that and then it was like we're closed <laughs> and it was like okay we're closed now we're open but yeah. we're doing it this way and then like every two weeks that changed so it was for a while it was a, purely a communication channel mm-hmm. because is so much easier to update than a website or whatever else. So then that was a shift. Then it was the shift of, okay, we have too many clients or we are fully booked. (laughs) Please stop sending them. (laughs) It was like, we don't want to book any more appointments, but we still want to like try to act normal a little bit. And maybe we'll revisit the like getting them to say yes to more things concept. But then it was also a shift of like, maybe we need to market to people to let them know we're not the right clinic for everybody, which is also a valuable life yes. lesson, right? <laughs> like, so then it was marketing to the right client, not just any client. And then now I think we're in an evolution of like, okay, we're doing okay. Like things are ish, okay, but we need more staff. <laughs> so yes. now... Is like, how can we show the techs of the world that we are the cool place to work? <laughs> or here's the culture we have so we can actually hire another doctor. Mm-hmm. So it's really been a massive evolution in just a very short time. So to be fair, I'm like, not sure what's next, right? Yeah. I think it's probably a hybrid of all of those things. But now we have a looming recession. So now I suspect we're also going to still be in the staff shortage. But now some of those good periods of not having to worry about ever having clients, those will probably now shift. We'll probably have to go back into some degree of booking and then probably some degree of science communication and client education on, okay, if budgets are tight, here's what's important. Here's what might be a money saving opportunity. Things like that. So I, I suspect there's that shift is coming. That was but who knows? I mean, if I would be, I would be a fool to say that I know what's coming. I <laughs> <laughs> won't put any money on it, but chances are you have a pretty good view considering what you work in just to have an idea of what could happen compared to we'll the rest see. of us. I, so we'll see. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll check back in five years and see where we're at about that. <laughs> right. That sounds great. <laughs> if you would have told me five years ago, the things that I watch on TikTok today, <laughs> Oh my <laughs> what I wasted half an hour on this morning, I would have been like, no way. And I'm like, this was so fun. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know like viral dance and cat dangle videos. Like what, what's going on here? I don't know. Goodness. I don't know. I'm both amused and ashamed at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Understandably. But I think it's a, uh, it's that creative process where we're all like, we don't know what's going on. So let's just try something. But I think it'll be It'll be good to see where it all goes. And we're actually running a little bit short on time to touch on the last little thing that we wanted to talk about. So maybe we'll do that in the bonus content. So you guys are going to have to go over there to listen. But we're going to talk about 
the not so happy fun side of social media and dealing with misinformation and the lovely thing of being harassed on social media for wanting to do what's right. So we will save that for the bonus content. But Caitlin, I want to A, thank you so much for coming and chatting about this. There's a ton of information that will help vet students, um, new grads, and clinics. But I wanted to give you some space to talk about what you're doing and then where people can find you, because I am sure that they have questions for you. I would love to answer them. I feel like this is one of the things that, you know, helping other veterinary people navigate these things is my literal favorite thing about this job. Because there's been definitely days where I'm like, social media, you can suck it. I'm never doing this again. (laughs) And I I often like delete the apps off my phone and take a little break. (laughs) But if I can help anyone figure something out or a better workflow or a solution, then I love to do that. But you can find me on social media, of course, at the social DVM. I just wrote a book and it's coming out uh, next week, actually. That's exciting. So that'll probably be out by the time this episode's out. Yeah, yeah. So social media marketing because I'm a big nerd. And I was like, well, if I can help somebody else figure it out, then I'm happy to do so. Because it is one of those things that's just, it doesn't come, I don't want to say it doesn't come naturally, because that's not true anymore. But I think it's one of the things that when you're dealing with 9 million other things in practice, how can we fit this in? And how can we do so effectively and efficiently? That's my kind of passion Mm -hmm. point. So, So yeah, I'd love to help anyone if they need anything. And you can Find me on social or my website is thesocialdvm.com. All right. And we will have all of that information in the show notes. I really want you guys to go and check it out. Go and get our book. Go ahead and read it, especially if you're thinking of digging into a little bit deeper into the social media science communication world. It will certainly be of help and use to you. But with that, we will say thank you so much for coming and joining us on the episode today, you guys. Caitlin, again, thank you so much for coming and chatting. This was super fun. And I'm looking forward to our bonus content, even though it probably will give me a little bit of um, indigestion just talking about that negative side of social media, but has to be done. But until next time, guys, see ya. And that's a wrap on today's episode of That Vet Life Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, before you go, I have a quick request. Now, podcasts and communities, they grow the best and they grow the biggest when the members spread the word. So if you know someone who you think needs to hear this episode, or if you found value in this episode and want to share it, go ahead and share this with your friends. And also, don't forget to head over to vedexinternational.com and enroll in the VEDEX community for free to get access to a bonus version of this show. You'll also get some free swag and many, many other amazing benefits. Also, leaving a review of the show on iTunes would be greatly appreciated because, again, it just helps get the word out. But until next time, y'all, I hope you enjoyed this episode of That Fat Life. <laughs>